In December, the Leadership Habit Podcast will be taking a look back at our first season and reflecting on all we've discussed so far. We've picked out some of our favorite episodes from the past year to share with you. I hope you enjoy this look back and can't wait to bring you more information and inspiration in the new year to come. For this week's look back at 2019, I chose season one, episode six, Customer Service and the Convenience Revolution with Shep Hyken. This episode is one of my favorites this year because I love his insight into customer service and how organizations must create a real customer service culture by identifying moments of misery and actively pursuing solutions for them. We also talked about how technology and convenience have changed the landscape of customer service and what we can all do to keep making our customers happy. His leadership habit is also about discipline, which might be a good reminder for all of us as we get ready to make our New Year's resolutions. I hope you enjoy this throwback. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining and listening to the Leadership Habit Podcast. Uh, my name is Jen Dewell, and I'm the Leadership Development Strategist for Crestcom. And today I am talking to customer service expert, author, and keynote speaker, Shep Hyken. Shep, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Jen, it's great to be here. You know, I love you. Can't get enough of you. Let's keep... I'm so excited. Can you tell? (laughs) You know, Shep, for those that don't know you, I mean, you're an author. You've written... Are you at seven books right now? Seven books. books. Yep. I mean, you're around. You've got the industry. One of my favorite parts about your newest book, The Convenience Revolution, is that you even have the buy-in from the CEO from Zappos, which is huge. Tony, that's awesome. But he has been a wonderful guy. He's endorsed three books now. Holy cow. Yeah. And we know, we all know, or especially those that are connected to customer service, that Zappos is really just a great brand in terms of how they maintain their customers. They play at the top of the game. Yeah. So, Chef, for those that don't know you, uh, tell us about yourself. Let them know like a little bit more of who Chef Hyken is and why it's great to get to know you and how you can help them. So, gosh, where do I start? Just a little background on me. I, I uh, started doing magic shows when I was 12 years old, and I, I did birthday party magic shows. Learned my first customer service lessons from my parents who told me, write a thank you note, call and thank them again, find out what tricks they like, and then if they're not talking about tricks, get rid of those and, and replace them with tricks they, they do talk about. And I had no idea that was called customer service, but that's really what it was you know, showing appreciation, getting feedback, process improvement based on the feedback, all at age 12. Anyway, um, went to college. And of course, during all these years, I had summer jobs in addition to my doing my magic and working in clubs. And and I had real jobs in retail, but I graduated college. And the company that I was actually thinking I was going to spend the rest of my life in, about four or five months out of college said, we're selling. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? So I saw a couple of motivational speakers uh, Zig Ziglar, the famous, great, you know, amazing motivational speaker, and uh, Tom Hopkins, who is a sales trainer. And the two of them had an event that night, and I went and attended. And I thought, well, I got that entertainment background, and I love the topic of customer service. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a speech. So I went to the bookstore, bought a bunch of books that were, and there weren't that many to buy back then. I mean, if you went to, where's the business section? It was like, there it is, one shelf of books. But I remember some of the first books were like uh, Tom Peters wrote the book In Search of Excellence. And that was a book that I picked up in around 1983 or late 83, 84, whenever it was, it came out. A couple other books uh, came out at the same time. Anyway, love that. And that's how it all started. And so 
just being a speaker. And then thanks to the internet, uh, all of my writing articles and things like that, I started to put content out there. And that's how you and I met, you know, lots of, uh, lots of opportunity for us to, you know, talk about customer service for your, for your customers, your people out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. whether, um, whether it's with our internal customers, as you talked about, our employees, our peers, who we serve, oh, yeah. and then our external customers, like who are the people that are actually investing in our product and services. So what happens on the inside of a company, the way people are treated, the, the way you serve them, if you treat them like customers, if not even better, that's how they're going to treat customers on the outside of the company. Oh, and it's, I love that. And it's so true because when I'm angry, let's say if my boss does something and I might get frustrated, you know, it's natural then to kind of have that carry throughout your day sometimes, right? When we're really, we can carry that attitude with us and not even notice it, that we have a little chip on our shoulder that can impact the way that we treat other people. And that's not good. I mean, I, I heard it once, um, one of my people years and years ago, I don't remember what caused it, but there was a difference of opinion between us. She was upset. And the way she answered the phone, the next call, I brought her back in. I said, here's the deal. What happens here in the office? It's a moment. It's an interaction. Okay. We agree when we go back to work, we're totally professional with whoever we encounter, internal or external customers. I said, because you're mad at me, you answered that phone in such a way that is almost embarrassing because it's so against our brand. And you're just upset about something. I mean, at that time, she wasn't, I remember that we, we talked about it. I said, it wasn't like your job is in jeopardy. But now that you've done that, yes, this is your first and only warning you're going to get about how we treat customers. So what happens here, if you, if you get mad, disagree with something, hey, that's life. And you know what? It isn't like we were uh, arguing about something. There was, I can't remember what it was, but it was like, she, it was kind of crazy. She asked about, is it possible that we would ever consider a company car? And I, I said, you know, that's a great thing to think about, but no, I've never thought about it. I don't know how that would work. My gut feeling is, why would you need a company car? And because she doesn't have a, her car wasn't reliable. I go, interesting. Well, I guess there's a bus, uh, there's a train, whatever. And uh, I think she didn't like the answer. And that's what caused <laughs> I mean, I will take a company car any day, but I don't, I don't sure, think sure. But what is a company car is not to get you from your place to uh, to the office. No, a company car is usually somebody is out on the road traveling on behalf of the company. Don't use your personal car for right. business purposes when you're going on sales calls. And I don't think she saw it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's, yeah, I mean, it'd be, that'd be one of those nice things to have, but that's definitely not an expected yeah. thing to have unless your job res- your responsibilities are right. right. All right. So we went too far into the weeds on that one. Let's get real. Let's, let's talk about some good information. Yeah. How has customer service evolved over the last five years? Well, if you look at all the numbers, uh, last year, for example, New Voice Media came out with their annual, well, actually it's a biannual study. Every two years they come out with it. And last year, they said that the year before customer service, uh, 75 billion with a B, billion dollars was lost because people were not happy and they switched to a different brand. So it was lost due to poor customer service. The year before that number was 62 billion and the and, and or two years before that and two years before that, it was 35 billion. So we're actually going back about six years and you're watching the trend of people switching companies, leaving companies because of poor customer service. And when you look at those numbers, you think, wow, service 
must be getting worse. And the reality of it is, if you look at another study done by the American Customer Satisfaction Index report that comes out by the University of Michigan every year, you'll look at all these years and you'll start to see there's actually an increase in, in customer satisfaction. They're happier. But wait a minute, they're leaving faster. And I'll tell you why. They are happier in almost every sector, including the government, by the way, is getting better at serving their customers, but they aren't doing or they aren't getting better enough, better quickly enough, better. They aren't they aren't reaching the customer's expectation because here's what's happened. Uh, Customers no longer compare you to the direct competition that you have within your industry. They compare you to the best service they've ever had. You mentioned Zappos when we first started our call. Um, and are on the show. Zappos, Amazon, which happened to be the same company. Uh, Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, uh, the best restaurant you've ever gone to, the friendliest people you've ever encountered at a restaurant, even if it's not a big fancy restaurant, the best retail store, not because they've got a reputation, but there's this one salesperson that calls you when there's a sale, has your clothes waiting for you, takes time with you. These are the people and the companies that create a benchmark for others to aspire to be like. And the problem is the customer says, why can't they be as good as, you know, whoever? And therefore, they put the onus on that company to uh, raise their level of customer service. That's why I think in the last five years, it's not that service has gotten worse. It's actually gotten better. But customers have gotten smarter. And this is what they expect. Oh, yes. And that's funny that you say that because when I had a, um, a recent experience with a large retailer that you know, I was trying to make a return and they weren't letting me make the return. One of the things that I absolutely said well, was, why can't you be more like Nordstrom and Colts, who are two different retailers that have very, I would say, customer focused and oriented return policies where it's the yes, we can, and we want to do what we can to help. And I didn't even realize it now that I was comparing those experiences and expecting them to show up in the same way. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's exactly what happened. These other companies set the bar higher for you. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, people stand on on policy. Most of the policies related to what you experienced where they said no was a policy that was created for the evil people in the world, the ones that are taking advantage of companies. And interestingly, if you take a look at those people and what the loss is by, you know, by creating this, you know, by if, if people stole from us. It probably is not nearly as costly as you saying, I never want to do business with them again, or the cost of trying to maintain it. Example, I love the guitar center. I, I, I play guitar. By the way, here, you want to know things about me? I play guitar with Eric Clapton. Uh, probably, what? yeah, yeah, on YouTube every night. I, I play along with him. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Carlos <laughs> and the Allman Brothers, <laughs> who the Grateful Dead, everybody. Yeah, anyway. you're pretty tough. Led Zeppelin, you got them all. Led Zeppelin, I play with all of them. Yeah, <laughs> on YouTube. So Guitar Center, you used to walk into a Guitar Center up until a few years ago, and there was a a desk and a person behind the desk saying, um, "Can I see what's in your purse?" Uh, I see you're bringing in a guitar. I need to log it in. So when you walk out, we know you walk out with the same guitar and not the brand new one that's on the showroom floor that you switched it with. You know, so basically this was their idea of loss prevention, right? It was costing them several million dollars a year to prevent the loss of people stealing from them. Guess what? The, The actual losses weren't nearly as expensive as the cost to try to prevent it. 
That's number one. Number two, the aggravation that it caused the 99% of the customers that were honest was not, it was irritating them. And I don't want to go through that. I'm going to go find another place. You know, maybe it's not Guitar Center, but think about uh, the store. You don't have to go back to that store anymore that has that bad return policy that's based on people trying to take advantage of it. So you can go to another store that will take care of you. And you already mentioned two of them. So it's already on your mind. So think about what happens. Anyway, I love the Guitar Center. It's a great, I just love them as a store anyway. And my friends who work there and I go visit them and I buy, I bought a bunch of, you know, music and guitars and things like that over the years. What's interesting is that they dropped it and everybody's happy, you know? So, and I urge companies to take a look at the policies that they create, the structure they create. Number one, is it customer focused? Number two, does it make it harder on the customer or easy? Or is it just a non-event? Is it necessary? And, and what's the reason you have it? And you take a look at all of those together. And I think it'd be very helpful for companies to decide, okay, this is a good, I hate using that word policy. This is a good guideline to look at. Guidelines you can bend. Policies are tough to break. Yeah. I, I had to make a purchase of contacts and um, I had to submit my prescription and there were just some issues with the contact company processing it. And so they eventually just canceled my uh, my account without telling me. So I, did, I was waiting for my contacts and they never came. And then I reached back out to them and they said, we're so sorry, we did this. And then they tried to run it. Well, my FSA, which is both the method of payment that I use, had um, they had initially ran it and then they refunded it. So then the contact company told me they couldn't help me because my card was declining. And then I called the number on the back of my card. And they also tell me there's a 30-day hold of when they'll release the funds back to my account. So they can't help me. There's nothing they can do. Which means that then I individually have to pay for it out of my personal account and then figure out what forms I need to fill out to submit the amount for what I paid for. Mm -hmm. It's insane the amount of extra work that was pushed back on me as the customer of something that I thought was actually going to be a very simple and smooth transaction. And I'm going to bet that that happens over and over and over again. I was doing work with a uh, an internet cable provider who will rename nameless at this point. They're a very good company, but I just don't, I mean, they gave me an example of a really bad customer service experience. They said, this is what we try to fix and it's hard to fix. So for example, you live in Colorado. I live in St. Louis. Okay. Missouri. Let's say we both could buy from the same cable company that they happen to have a presence in each of our cities. Right? So let's say I'm a, uh, I don't know, the XYZ cable company customer in St. Louis, and I moved to Denver, okay, where you live. And I switched my cable service to Denver. Okay. So I'm there. I'm still a customer, but my phone number on my cell phone is a Missouri number still St. Louis, Missouri number. So I call them and what they do is they recognize my phone number and they route me to the customer service department in St. Louis, Missouri or Missouri. (laughs) Now I'm talking to the person after I put in my account number, et cetera, et cetera. I'm finally talking to the rep and the rep realizes after I tell the story, Hey, I'm not in Missouri anymore. I'm in, you know, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. I'm going to have to transfer you over to somebody that can in Denver or Colorado because there's different laws in different states and whatever. And guess what? And I'm forced to do this. You know, isn't there a better way? And they said that a big percentage, it's not like an overwhelming percentage, 
but a, a big enough percentage enough that this happens, that it's a real problem. And customers uh, are put in this position of inconvenience uh, simply because they moved and kept their same phone number. And, and they're trying to figure out, and by the way, they're actively pursuing a way to fix this problem. So it doesn't keep happening again and again and again. So let's talk about how that happens. This is just to kind of give you a, a how-to around this. Yeah. You take a look at a moment of misery, and this is what I call these. They're the interaction points along the journey of a customer. And at that point, if it's a moment of misery versus a moment of magic, a positive experience, take a look at this moment of misery. What caused it? And, and we usually sit down with our clients and we get a big group of people and we say, everybody, you're in small groups. Okay, now within a larger group, I want you to write down the top three biggest complaints that you hear. I don't care if they're internal people complaining about another department internally, uh, but, it, you know, like we're out of stock could be a big one. Um, you know, the customer calls, the shipment's been lost. Uh, internally, our warehouse doesn't always alert us when we're out of stock. So we go sell something that the customer can't get anyway. What are the biggest complaints that you have? You list them all out and then you prioritize because you can't handle all of them at once. Right. You prioritize what are the most important ones and one at a time or maybe two or three, if you have the bandwidth to do it, you take them on. You may not ever be able to eliminate, but you should definitely mitigate, diminish the op, you know the number of times this happens because you're going to get a group together and collectively you're going to brainstorm. What if we did it this way? What if we did it that way? And I guarantee you will come up with ways that will be more effective for your customer. You may not eliminate the problem altogether, but you're going to make it better for some. And which is what we need to do, right? It's not that we can try to be perfect and solve every single mm -hmm. issue. Like there are, there are plenty of things that they can't control or just different interruptions, but there are a lot that they can control, especially yep. if they're those reoccurring issues. Hi everyone, it's Jen Dewall and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Are you looking for a proven program to improve your management team's communication skills and create happier and more productive employees? Are your leaders able to take your strategy and break it down effectively for their teams to achieve your vision? Are they able to inspire and motivate their employees to produce real results and meet daily demands? Great managers don't happen overnight. Partner with Crestcom to develop your team and obtain results. Whether you are looking to improve employee engagement and reduce turnover or cultivate a more inclusive culture, our intensive leadership development program provides a diverse set of tools and skill sets for leaders to thrive in today's workforce. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. You know, what prevents people from really focusing their efforts on creating optimal customer service? What do you think gets in companies' ways? Sure. Well, first of all, it's it's the culture. It's the biggest thing. That's the number one problem. A company that you say, why can't they be as nice as so-and-so? Why aren't they? Why do they think this way? The culture has been created by leadership. So let's give you a real quick rundown on six ways to make to fix that. Uh, <laughs> and I know this isn't what we plan to talk about. But I'm, <laughs> no, I'm going for it. Okay. Because no. to, to create the customer-focused culture is the, the way to start to create a better experience for your customers, both externally and internally. Number one, the leadership must define in a simple, clear statement, what is the customer service or customer experience vision going to be? Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Zappos, 
Okay, since you mentioned them, uh, three words, powered by service. That's it. Now, what does that mean? It's a tagline. But if you use that internally and say we're powered by service, when you come to work for us, by the way, Tony Shea, uh, when you come to work for Zappos, he says, I have 10 core values. Every one of my people will follow and be part of this and believe in these values. And if they're deficient, any one, they've got to go. They've got to be you know, willing to live all 10 of them. So once you hire the right people and you have a vision like powered by service, you start training them. What does that mean to you and your department? It means something different if you're on the phones talking to a customer versus in the warehouse, putting shoes, you know, wrapping them up and, and shipping them out or anything else that, cost, uh, that Zappo sells. So um, my favorite of all is nine words long. It's the Ritz-Carlton's mantra. Uh, I call it a mantra. By the way, the one sentence or, or less, I call it a mantra. Actually, the Ritz calls theirs a credo. And Horst Schultz, the first president, co-founder of the Ritz, came up with this. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. They put it on a laminated card. They have their 24 gold standards right underneath it. And every one of these standards is about you being a lady and gentleman serving a lady or a gentleman. And uh, whether it's an internal lady or gentleman or an external, it doesn't matter. But that's the Ritz's uh, credo. And so once that you, you've established and defined what that statement is, and by the way, it doesn't change. It is what you have for, you know, in the Ritz's case, decades, but it's with you for years. And so you've got this statement and now you've got to live to it. So number two, it's got to be communicated. Number three, you got to train everybody to it. As I mentioned, people in a warehouse might be different than people on the front line or the accounting department. Number four, leadership has to be a role model. Number five, leadership has to keep it in alignment. I once asked a CEO, what's your most important job? And he says, you know, I put together deals and we grow our company, but really what we're known for is how we treat our people and our customers. I defend the culture. If there's somebody, some group, some department, some region out of alignment, we get it back in. That's number five. Number six is celebrate it when it works. And these six steps, simple as they sound, not always so easy. Simple no. is not easy. But if you're a small company, really small, you know, entrepreneurial, 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, you can do this in a real short time, maybe several months. If you're a big company, you know, 80,000, 100,000 employees or more, you're talking, you know, five, six, seven years, which is fine. It takes a long time to, to turn the big ship. But those six steps are what will help create that customer-focused culture. Yeah, it's, it's really a big part of that leadership. Mm -hmm. How are you showing up? Like to our listeners, you know, things to think about. How are you showing up? That is, or what ways are you showing up? And what messages are you kind of spreading to your organization about how you value or how you see customer service, right? right? So you're that leader and you have that role. People are looking to you for guidance, whether you recognize that or not, it could be very subconscious, but if you're kind of more agitated and annoyed at your customers or even at fellow employees, they're going to take the lead from you. And if you really want to take those changes as you open this, right? Like you opened this with the beginning of our um, conversation, you know, how people experience customer service outside of the organization as a result of what's happening inside of the organization. So recognizing that as a leader, whether or not you are on the front lines, you are impacting that experience in almost every way based on how you show up. So, and Jen, you and I have a mutual friend, Mark Sanborn. Yeah. Yes. Who's done one of the programs over there at Crestcom. Yeah. And, and he was great just voted one of the top 30 speakers in the world. He's got a good accolade there. All right. All right. He's, well, he's been a good buddy for years and years. 
he has a great speech title called uh, you don't have to be let's see, you don't need a title to be a leader. Okay, so that's in general. And I say, well, definitely that applies to anybody in customer service, because here's the person you're looking at. Wow, that person's amazing. Listen to how he or she took care of that customer. I want to be able to do that. And that may be somebody who's just, you know, a service, you know, a support person, not a manager, not a president of a company, not a director, not a CEO. You don't need the title to be a leader. I want to be that person that other people look around and everybody should aspire to being that person that you would say, you know what, that's how I want to behave. You know, we've heard, we've had such a great conversation so far, but I really want to talk about your newest book, The Convenience Revolution. I love that book. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, I have it here, but not that everyone can see it because we're just going to be talking about it. But, you know, it's the convenience revolution and you talk about the six principles of the convenience revolution. Why is convenience important today? Wow. So pretty, pretty great setup on that. Well, number one, we all know customer service and experience is important. It's becoming more and more important. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say most companies believe this to be true. And most companies believe that the products that they sell are good products or products that are at least, uh, you know, of value to what people are paying. Number two, they think they provide good service. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But the fact is that they're trying. So the customer experience plus a good product that they sell or whatever they're selling, maybe it's service. It's one plus one doesn't equal two. It's the parts are, are bigger or that, what did they say? The sum is greater than, no, the parts are, anyway, you know what I say. The sum is greater <laughs> than the parts. That's what it, sum is greater than the whole. So here's the thing. What do you do now? Everybody's, everybody believes this. Everybody's trying to do it. What's the next level? So about a year and a half ago, I thought, well, the next level is probably like not just good service, friendly, helpful, not just a good experience, which includes everything about, you know, open up the box. That was a cool experience. I just got my new iPhone. Wow, that was cool. That's that's part of experience. And the product, what if it was just easier to do business with a company? Because I look at the companies that I love to write about and I love to speak about, and I recognize they're all really convenient to do business with. And who's the most convenient company, in my mind, on the planet to do business with? This is a question to you. I'll bet you know the answer. I mean, I know that Zappos is one. Zappos is one. And guess who who owns Zappos? Amazon. Exactly. Amazon is the, in my mind, the most convenient company. As a, oh, they as are a, so convenient. <laughs> right, right. Think about it. So there's six convenience principles, which we'll get to in a moment, and they are in all six. And by the way, you don't need to be in all six of these areas to be amazingly convenient to disrupt your competition. People think disruption is about disrupting. Oh, they're a disruptor of what? An entire industry. You know how few companies get to disrupt an entire industry, but you know that every day companies are disrupting the local competitor that they go up against day in and day out. So the goal is you give them a good experience, you give them a good product, but then you add this level of convenience. And if you can be easier to do business with, all things being equal, easier wins. Think about the convenience stores. You're driving down the street versus going to a big grocery store. All you need is, uh, you know, a loaf of bread and some milk and maybe, you know, whatever. And wouldn't it be easier just pull in tiny little parking lot, run in, not a huge store to run around. You pull it off the shelf, guess what? It's always a little bit more expensive in these convenience stores, but nobody is complaining. And I think it's it's important to realize that Amazon, as convenient as they are, they offer a good price on top of it. So that's really tough, except now when you go to an Amazon page for a product, you'll oftentimes see 
It's at a, another retailer will be selling it for less money. And they give you a link to that retailer because they're so confident that, you know, by the way, it's a great service. You're helping me understand who the, you know, what the, what the a good price is, but the value of having Amazon deliver it to me next day or two days from now and getting those emails to say it's being shipped. It's already, there, you know, whatever they can make you feel so comfortable. And, and also how easy is it to buy from Amazon? One click ordering. If you're on the site and you're all set up in there, you have an account, one click and it's done. And now you don't even need to open up your computer. You familiar with the dash button? Oh, I only shop from Amazon for my phone. Right. Well, for the phone, but that's, that's What's the dash the, button. I don't know the, the dash, dash button. button. It's very cool. It looks like a doorbell and it's specific to a product that you buy. So for example, if you bought a lot of Tide detergent for your washing machine, if you bought toothpaste, uh, deodorant, all of the things that you buy, you get a dash button. By the way, they would charge you a few bucks for the dash button and give it back to you on your first order because they just didn't want you getting a bunch of dash buttons for fun, I guess. <laughs> all right. So now you're getting out of, you're getting ready to, you're running low on washing machine detergent and you just push the button that it's, you know, adhesive and it's connected to your Wi-Fi and it orders your detergent for you. Well, that was convenient. They see, yeah, I could see, and people don't see this because we're, we're doing this interview and I can see you through video, but they're only listening. And, and Jen just went, wow. But she, was yeah, she had a big, like her mouth was open. So here's what's cool. Okay. About, I'm going to say six weeks, maybe eight weeks ago, they discontinued the dash button. Do you know why? No. You why? don't need to push a button anymore. Not only do you not have to open a computer. You don't have to push a button. You just go look over at the Amazon Echo. You call out her name and say, please order me more washing machine detergent. And Alexa or Google Play or whatever, it's not Google Play, uh, Google, whatever that uh, smart device is, will order it for you. And, uh, you know, you want a pizza. You don't have to pick up the phone or order a pizza anymore. Domino's Pizza, which is one of the case studies in my book, Using Technology, now has 10 different ways you can order a pizza to be delivered. None of them have to uh, do with making an actual phone call. 10 different ways. that are Well, you already not. picked up one of them. You, you showed me you have your phone in your hand. That's one way. You can order from your smart device, like you know your, your, your Amazon Echo or your Google uh, Home. You can order, uh, like, it's, like, you know, like uh, in the Ford, Ford vehicles have like... Uh, I don't know what they call it. It's like OnStar with GM, you know, sure. right, right. You can, you can ask on the way home, make sure my pizza's there by the time I get home. I mean, it happens. There's so many, and they, I love it. If you go on to the Domino's pizza website, there's a list of all the different ways you can order a pizza without having to pick up the phone. I That's love that. Convenience. Well, and it's, I mean, we, especially in the U S run like we are very very like busy in our lives we have very hectic schedules especially if you're a parent and you're running your children around or even just the amount of hours that we work we don't have a lot of time to focus on what i would say the things that aren't as fun just those necessities right we need laundry detergent i need to order dog food for my beautiful dog zoe like i need all that but i don't really want to go to the store and that's why convenience is so right. important to me because Chewy. i don't spend my time that way yeah, Chewy.com dog food. They will deliver your 50-pound bag of dog food to your door so that you don't have to go to the grocery store, pick it up, put it in your cart, take it out to your car, from the car, take it to your doorstep. They'll do this for you. And it's called the subscription model. And that's one of the big six 
convenience principles is you you subscribe to something so you don't have to think about it anymore. It just shows up when you need it on an ongoing regular basis as you consume it. I'm a member of a great club called the Dollar Shave Club. Ooh, isn't that exciting? And really, <laughs> this is a subscription service for razor blades. Every month, I get four new razor blades to replace once a week uh, my razor. And you know what? It, it works for me. It's great. Uh, you've got software as, as a service, which is typically a software program where now you're paying an annual fee or a monthly fee for something that you used to buy in a box. And think about what Microsoft did. Microsoft took a, a box of software that would cost four or $500. People would buy it. And then they, it was time, you know, the new upgraded version but no, this is working fine for me. So four or five version later, versions later, several years later, they'd say, okay, now I'll upgrade. Well, they said, let's make it easy. Instead of charging you $400, let's just charge you like $25 a month or $20 a month. You'll get the latest and greatest all of the time. You'll be able to use it on your computer at work and your computer at home. Matter of fact, most of them, well, you have two, three, four devices that you can hook it up into. So now, you know, if you have an office at the you know, a, a computer at the office and you want to hook it into your smartphone, you want to hook it into your computer at home. They made it so easy and it's ongoing recurring revenue uh, for the company. And it's just easier on the pocketbook for the customer. And you never have to worry about it. You always have the latest and greatest. That's the subscription model. By the way, you can now subscribe to a car. You don't buy a car, you don't lease a car, you don't own the car. You go to Porsche, you go, I want to pay this much money. And they say, okay, you can choose any one of these models. If you pay a little more money, we'll add the more expensive models. And you can come in and switch them all you want. Okay, it's not in every market yet, but this is the kind of thing that's happening. People don't want to own anymore. They want to subscribe. You know, so it's it's pretty cool. Anyway, that's let me real quick run through the uh, six. And by the way, Amazon has the subscription model too. You can uh, set it up. Or automatic. Porsche has it. I mean, I, I may not be there yet. I'm still driving a Subaru, but maybe hey, you know, if you get a windfall, subscribe for a month because they'll let you switch the car every two, three days. I want to drive the convertible this time, and I want to drive the you know Porsche Cayenne uh, SUV. Oh, I want to buy you know the, the, I want to try that real fast one over That's there. Awesome. Just them in and switch them. Yeah, and you don't pay the insurance on it. You don't pay. All you got to do is basically pay the gasoline. So, okay, well, I'm gonna I might get a Porsche now. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna try that thing around and they'll see you a few weeks. Wow, she actually owns that Porsche. You know? <laughs> oh, I subscribe and at the end of this month it's gone. No, but you, there's no annual long-term contracts, that kind of thing. Hi everyone, it's Jen Dewell, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do you lose staff due to burnout? Do your leaders have the skills they need to deal with the stress of working in a fast-paced, ever-changing environment? With Crestcom's Leadership Development Program, your team can see measurable results that are proven to change behavior. See why our program has reached over 1 million individuals around the world and counting. Unlock your team's true potential and give them the tools and skills they need to manage the challenges of tomorrow. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. So the six principles are, number one is simply to reduce friction, which is in all six principles, but some companies like Amazon, that's a big part of their value prop. Uh, Uber and Lyft do it. It's so much easier, you know, if you're in the suburbs, like when I came out to your office, uh, you know, taking an Uber to and from the, you know, it's, it's just, 
you can see the person driving down the street to come and pick you up. You don't have to pay. You pay, but it's all in the system. So you just get out of the car when you're done. And it's really a convenient way of doing things. So uh, uh, number one, reduce friction. Number two, self-service solutions. Can you incorporate uh, something that gives the customer control over their experience? When you go to buy an airline ticket, you go online and buy it. You go to check in online. You're taking control. You don't have to wait in lines. You have to wait on hold the call and talk to reservationists. It's a great uh, self-service is great. And frequently asked questions on a website, YouTube videos, you know, that's self-help from support. But other ways that you can get the customer involved in the, in the process. Walking out of a grocery store, you can go to the self-service lane which means that you scan your own groceries, put them in your own bag. By the way, you will notice there is always an employee near the self-service area to help the people that get confused and can't, can't work the machines. And that's an important lesson is that self-service doesn't mean let the customer do it and forget about it. No, self-service is let's try to give them a better experience. And if they need help, we'll make sure we're there to help them along the way. So number three is technology. How can you incorporate technology? We already talked about the dash button now using the you know, smart uh, speaker devices, uh, but so many, and think about how you move money from one person to the next. If I want to Venmo you or PayPal you, I can get it to you literally in seconds right. instead of having to write a check and mail it to you or whatever. It's amazing. Uh, so you've got the technology. Uh, that's three. Number four is the subscription model we talked about. Number five is delivery. Now, remember I said, you don't need to disrupt an entire industry. You know, Amazon kind of did that to the retail industry. Um, uh, Lyft and Uber did it to the taxi cab industry. My car dealership, who I buy my car, I don't subscribe to this car, I bought it. Um, and I remember seeing the car in a display at a dealership that was maybe 10 miles from where I live versus where I would normally buy my car that's literally not even a half a mile from where I work. And I could drop my car off, get it serviced, and I could walk to work and walk back to pick it up if they didn't want to give me a loan or I didn't need one. Guess what happened? I go into this dealership. And the guy says, so you interested in looking? I, I'm just looking. I don't want to buy. And here's why. And he says, look around. There's no waiting room. There actually is. It's real small. So if you buy a car from me, I will make sure that whenever you need service, we will bring you a brand new car uh, and we'll pick up your car. We'll bring it back when your car is ready. The next time you come in here will be to buy another car, not because you need an oil change or your annual maintenance. And I went, wow. And what does that cost? He goes, I'm going to write up the deal, go shop it to where you normally go. And if you feel that the value's not there, or we didn't beat the price, you let me know and I'll see what I can do. But I really believe that we're going to be the best value and best price for you. By golly, he is. I'm on my third car with him. That's so, amazing that yeah. he even put that into a contract to say, I want you to go out there and do this because I believe yeah. so much in the value that we're offering that I, I, I trust that you're going to go out there and shop around and you may not find it. How that's brave, right? A lot of companies are a little bit more risk averse and they don't necessarily want to be that vulnerable, especially to that price point. Well, I think when you're shopping for a car, it's expected that, you know, the customer is going to make sure this is a good deal and try to work that work them over. And it was his way of saying, hey, don't work me over, take the deal. And by the way, letting that customer walk out of the door is the riskiest part. Okay. Right. That's the riskiest part. But I, I, you know, I was educated. I knew about what a dealership makes on a car just because of my background and what I do working with car dealerships. But I love this guy and I love the dealership and they, true to their work. And the people that bring me my car or, or pick up, bring me the loaner and pick up my car, those are now the ambassadors 
of that brand. They can't look at themselves as just the guy that drops off and picks up the car. Okay, no, they, he or she needs to look at themselves as the ambassador of this company. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to make them love us for what we do, because otherwise this customer is not going to go into the dealership the next time they need to buy a new car or, or any other re- until then. It could be five years, three years before the customer comes back. I want to make sure every touch point that I have with that customer is an amazing you know, interaction. So number six, by the way, since we're in five, deliveries, number five, uh, and, and pizza delivers, you know, that's great. That's convenient. And there's all kinds of, of uh, companies out there that are, you know, now delivering Uber Eats and, you know, all the other ones. And I saw my daughter's credit card bill. I go, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> Having my food delivered. Oh, great. Go down the street and get it. Anyway, uh, yeah, number I six. I see that if you actually subscribe to the application called Acorns, and yes. then you can order through Postmates, you can actually get 6% back of your order into your Acorns account. So maybe that's the way you can get yeah. daughter to do that. She can, yeah. I like Acorns. I mean, granted, I'm a millennial, right? I'm an older millennial, but it's convenience, right? It's my way that I can invest and it was very easy to set up. Right. It's, you know, and otherwise I'm not going to make an appointment with a financial advisor. I know that I need to, but it all comes down to time again. And so what can I do to maximize my time? Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that's good. By the way, the reason you want to maximize your time is that time is about convenience. Put me on hold for a long time. You're not maximizing my time. Let's talk about technology. Then I'll give you number six. Number, uh, We talked about technology, but from the standpoint of hold, I can call a company and like I called American Airlines uh, just last night about something and they said, thanks for calling. Uh, Your hold time is 19 minutes. However, if you'd like, we can call you back in 19 minutes, so you don't have to wait on hold. Just key in your number, right? Well, that's a total respect of my time. I love that, right? right. And and it's technology that's driving that. And they say, if there's a more convenient time, not it didn't happen on the call last night, but on many of these technologies, if there's a more convenient time uh, past the 19 minutes, just key that in and we'll call you back at that time. So that tells me they respect me as a customer. They respect my time. And that's where a lot of friction takes place when you force people to wait and be on hold and and you waste their time. All right, number six is access. Are you accessible to your customers? That can be physically, logistically, um, like uh, Walmart, for example, is probably, I I can't remember the stat that's in my book, but I'm gonna think that like 90% of the US population is within 10 minutes or so of a Walmart. It's some stat like that. It's an incredible amount of people accessibility. Uh, Some uh, call centers, support centers are available to you 24 hours a day. Banks. uh, I used uh, one of the banks, I I used Huntington Bank as a lead case study because what they did is they said, bankers hours are not convenient to most customers, unless of course you're, you're marketing to the unemployed. So who have <laughs> great business model too. <laughs> right, right, right. But in today with technology, by the way, you can take a picture of, the, of your check and that's how you make a deposit. You don't necessarily have to go to the bank anymore. But uh, Huntington Bank said, we know our customers don't get off work till 4.35 o'clock. So let's stay open till six and not close like the rest of the banks. Let's have some hours on Saturday morning. And what they did is they started stealing market share away by being more convenient. So uh, just an example of of what uh, the six principles are. No, I mean, in excess, I left a bank because I couldn't, since so many other banks were offering that option to take a picture of your check and do that deposit. So I no longer had to go to the bank or an ATM. 
I thought it was strange that my bank wouldn't offer that given the other banking right. institutions I worked with. Yep. And I had to leave them. And it's not that actually they had bad service. They just weren't convenient. And right. I they weren't convenient. convenient. And, and, you'll, you've, and all these people are going, gosh, what do I invest in te- this technology? Well, now it's not just about playing keep up. If you have to play catch up, you're going to lose people like yourself in the process. Well, and so that's where it's important. And you prefaced your book, right? You're talking about the six principles, but it's not that every company needs to focus on all six to be successful. It's really just focusing on one. Yeah. If that one is what separates you from your competitor, you know, Huntington Bank, you know, longer business hours, the local auto repair center that's near the car dealership that closes their auto repair center at five o'clock, yet the local one stays open till nine o'clock at night and has Saturday hours, maybe even Sunday hours. Um, I mean, who's going to win in the convenience world there, right? So uh, that's that, those are examples. And I mean, there's we can go on and on with so many great examples of great companies that are doing things. One of my favorites, and some of them aren't going to work. I, I preface this in the book. Some of the ideas are going to be like obsolete in a year. But there is a company, uh, Mobamart, I, I think it's called. It's, it's a foreign company. Uh, entity and they have a driverless bus that goes around the neighborhood and the bus is a a convenience store on wheels. I say it's a bus. It looks like a a small train, you know, like a tram looking thing. And you go online and you order what you want. and, And at a certain time every day that shows up at the street corner or somewhere on your block, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, this thing is running. At two in the morning, the convenience store is stopping on your block. And the idea is, and by the way, it's driverless. There's no people in there. Uh, Similar to the Amazon technology of being able to walk in and pick up your item and leave. It knows because of your mobile phone that you're on or off off this uh, vehicle. And I mean, whether that works or not, I don't know. But this is the forward thinking that some of these companies are doing to create a better experience for their customers. That's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> like that's, I mean, how cool. And yes, it's hard to probably predict some of the ways that it's going to evolve because I know that in my own experience, I wouldn't be able to picture a driverless convenience store going through my neighborhood. That's That wasn't even on my radar as something. And now that it exists, I hope that they have that here. And, you know, if you don't, especially if you don't live in a 24-7 city, like yep. how can you account for that where you may not have some of those businesses or like open and you need to get cost syrup or you need to get X, Y, Z, just knowing that there's something like that. I mean, even the fact that there are companies going into that delivery with their drones. Yeah. And that, and so that's the kind of thing. So imagine, and I, I talk about the drone delivery. Well, Amazon also has distribution centers throughout the entire country and in other parts of the world too. But so imagine that the Goodyear blimp, the blimp goes by and it picks up a huge, almost for lack of a better term, uh, looks like a, a, a minute, a miniature warehouse of inventory of, of items. So, um, you know, let's say big sporting event, you know, that could be the Super Bowl or the World Series or the Stanley Cup. And so what will happen is they know that there's going to be a huge uh, interest in, you know, hats and sweatshirts and all logoed merchandise with the teams, right? So what they'll do is they'll pick up a, you know, a big, huge crate of this with the like dirigible, the Goodyear blimp type thing, and float it close to where the event is. And as the merchandise is run out down below with the retailer, it'll drop ship literally from the sky (laughs) using a drone. It'll drop (laughs) off the merchandise so that they never run out. 
And then as soon as that that you know container of merchandise gets low, they go back to the warehouse, pick up another one, and and go back over toward. Is is that amazing? Yes, dropship has a completely different definition. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I spent almost a decade in retail, and that is not what dropship meant when we were ordering back into goods. That is truly amazing to know that they can replenish their inventory from something that's a blimp, you know, that's close to that event. That's amazing. Well, Chef, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I know we talked a lot about The Convenience Revolution, which is your newest book, but you have six other books and I've read quite a few of them. And it's just a lot of great resources for people to use to understand how they can create a stronger customer service culture, what they can do to improve their customer service. Because I know that for those that are thinking it's just about the external and customer it's really customer service is all about how do we retain and engage our people because we need our people to make our mission and our results possible. Yep. Uh, Chef, I like to close each, uh, each podcast interview with our question. And so the question that I have for you is what is your leadership habit for success? Wow. A leadership habit. So first of all, I wrote a whole book. Uh, it's called be amazing or go home on habits that are good for anybody. But the interesting thing as a leader, I think that um, somebody said it, and I can't say it exactly the way they said it. I don't even know who said it, but it wasn't my quote, but I believe in it thoroughly, that many uh, many people cannot withstand the monotony of success. What that means is success is habits. It's like I'm disciplined. You know, every Sunday I have a Forbes column that comes out. Every Monday I write an article about my favorite articles I read the week before. Every Tuesday I have my podcast show. Every Wednesday I have a newsletter. Every Thursday I have a video that gets re- You see what's happening? Every day I do something. It happens at the exact time. The discipline to do that day after day, week after week, year after year, it becomes monotonous. I hear people say, oh, I don't do it anymore. Why? It works so well. You stop doing it. No, I think that people have a difficult time withstanding the monotony of what it takes to be successful. And I think if there's uh, uh, the discipline of that, of doing what needs to get done, the habit, that's what I think my leadership, uh, my leadership habit or discipline is. Yeah, doing what needs to get done, doing the things that sometimes maybe aren't the, oh my gosh, I love this so much every single moment. And even on the days that you may not be feeling you know, inspired. You got to do it. Still Still got to do it. it. Still got to stick with it. So it's all about that perseverance. And I think what some would call it that grit, right? Just continuing to go, go, go and build. Mm -hmm. Well, Chef, thank you so much for such an engaging podcast episode. I know that our listeners will love all of the tips that you gave. You're so knowledgeable. And I hope that maybe we've even, you know, I've uncovered different ways that I can go about looking and like even understanding new business opportunities or new ways to shop. That was exciting for me. But thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for joining us this month as we took a look back at some of our best episodes of 2019. The Leadership Habit Podcast will be back with new episodes after the new year. We have exciting new guests lined up and can't wait to share them with you. If you've enjoyed our series, please feel free to drop into your favorite podcasting app and write a review. Have a great new year.